For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Morning, morning. How are you? I'm sore. Sore? Why are we you sore? We had uh, some serious snow uh, that actually prevented me getting back from the journal office to back here to Minneapolis uh, for a day. And when I got, got back yesterday about noon, I had three hours of shoveling. Uh, looked like about 14 inches of moderately heavy, heavy snow. So I got a bit of a snore ba sore back. And uh, I uh, went back to the original oh, mug. Wow. Uh, because Astle? it's more volume in the in the mug <laughs> than, than, than the, uh, the, uh, the white one. So but, but I, help, I really... me, help, help me understand this. I, my, my one year with you in, mm -hmm. uh, in Minnesota suggested that uh, Minnesotans are pretty, pretty strong, tough. They can take any sort of winter, um, winter, uh, whatever winter we throw at you, they can take. So how is it possible that there's a storm that is shut down airports in Minnesota? I, I don't understand it. There actually yeah. is a, a, an article on the front page of the Star Tribune this morning. I haven't had a chance to read, but did we, the, the, the headline is, did we overreact? Oh. Uh, and I, I, I think, I think they did, but anyway, my back is sore, so I got to have more Joe, uh, uh, but I'm looking forward to our chat this morning mm -hmm. because I want to talk about something that, you know, you, you've done a lot of your, uh, your, your life at uh, McMaster, mm -hmm. uh, your training and uh, your, your, your doctoral degree and so certainly being on the staff and major leadership roles. And I want to look back on a uh, project that we started Boy, I want to say 2005 or six with Brian Haynes right. uh, there at Mac. <clears throat> right. Uh, and the uh, the issue is, thing that we did at JVGS is when Jim, Jim Heckman was the editor, we created an article type of uh, evidence based orthopedics. And uh, Jim Wright, uh, your your colleague mm -hmm. from Toronto, was heavily involved. He and he and I actually wrote the editorial, the introducing levels of evidence uh, to the orthopedic world in 2003. Um, but anyway, um, I want, want to ask you uh, about Brian Haynes and really what he was up to at uh, Mac. And then I'll go on to, to discuss how we've used this in uh, JVJ. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> so you know, I, I was around, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it with the term uh, evidence-based medicine was coined at least, you know, when we look back at the quote archives, by a small group, but Gordon Guyett was at that time the program director of the Internal Medicine uh, Residency Training Program. And so they were coming up, him, David Sackett, Brian Haynes. Yeah, this was right. this core group of individuals at McMaster. There are numerous others, but those are the key individuals that were sort of brainstorming a new way to be thinking, a new way to be teaching. So around 1990, so right, roughly 1990 is when they coined it. 
Okay. 94, 95, I got to McMaster uh, doing an orthopedic residency training program. And around, it was probably 96 where I met, 95, 96, where I met Gordon Guyatt and, and Brian Haynes at that time. They're all part of this, this group there uh, that was doing this you know, research. Brian Haynes, you know, for those who don't know, um, was involved with like, you know, if you've ever done a PubMed search and you've typed in the word, you know, the, sort of the randomized trial filter, he's the one that worked very carefully on working with National Libraries of Medicine and PubMed in, in creating these filters. So a lot of the algorithms to identify evidence comes from Brian Haynes. In fact, he had done lots of the you know, pre-appraised evidence review. So he had multiple journals, um, something called ACP Journal Club was one of the right. big ones that, you know, basically did what, what we've been trying to do at Ortho Evidence for some years, which is, you know, take evidence and, you know, and uh, coin it uh, and, you know, and summarize it in a way that makes it easy to digest. So his whole career and his pathway was, you know, really, how do we disseminate through knowledge translation evidence? Gordon's was a lot of, you know, education and knowledge translation, Gordon Guyatt, but a ton of his stuff was also related to the, you know, to the generation, you know, sort of the conduct of surgical trials was around 96, really, for him. Yeah. I mean, I think orthopedics was his first foray into large clinical trials with respect to surgery. He'd been right. doing lots of things. Right. Out. Yeah. So uh, around the time that we began to understand levels of evidence uh, at the journal, Jim uh, suggested that we contact uh, Brian. And uh, he had developed this process of screening the world's literature for trials, basically, and then sending them around uh, electronically to experts who would basically grade the trials in terms of levels of importance to the field. Is it information that's already known or is this new? And then categorizing that as to how widely to broadcast the information in the trials. And of course, there were trials uh, being published in, in musculoskeletal medicine and surgery. And what we agreed to do, Jim Heckman agreed to do, was to take a pool of the uh, trials that were graded in orthopedic surgery and musculoskeletal medicine, and then send them to a, a deputy editor who would select the three on a quarterly basis that were the most uh, influential or that had the potential to influence the field Initially, that was done by Jim, but most recently, it's been done by Bob Marks from HSS, done a great job uh, with this. And we are now transitioning to my, uh, my colleague, who is at the Kaiser Permanente Group. And uh, Ron is going to be taking over this job and is just now dipping his, his toe into it. So anyway, the, what brought this up and going back into history, because I've you know i I've known you for a long time and knew you, that you were at Mac, was... I was looking at the most recent uh, journal, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I saw the three that we selected. Uh, there's a selection uh, on uh, patients with non-acute ACL deficiency and instability, uh, and that the long-term outcomes of ACL reconstructive surgery improve pain and function more than physiotherapy at 18 months. That's uh, from Lancet. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is exercise-based physical therapy was not inferior to arthroscopic partial meniscectomy for knee function over five years in adults with degenerative meniscal tears, and that's in JAMA. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is in total shoulder arthroplasty, preoperative washes with benzyl peroxide with or without clindamycin, reduced skin cutibacterium acne colonization compared with physohex before skin preparation 
uh, and draping, but not during surgery. And that's from the Journal of Shoulder and Elbow Surgery. So three kind of disparate topics, but uh, I think all have the potential for influencing care decision making. Uh, and uh, so you've published a lot uh, that I've said before on this, that I've seen your CV a few years ago, and you were in the 1200 <laughs> citations, uh, not in minor journals. What causes you to think about publishing in Lancet, say, for example, compared to an orthopedic journal? Now, that's a great point. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you context to this. Well, when we did the, um, and it came really, a lot of it just came from education and understanding audiences. But when, when, it, um, when we did the sprint trial, some years back now, it was by probably 2007 when we closed it out, 2008 when it got published in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. In all full disclosure, as a steering committee, having done you know a large trial of over a thousand, well, did have over a thousand patients. You know, we were particularly keen to send it to some of the top medical journals because we thought of the scope and the impact. It ended up in JBJS, probably appropriately so, because the journals were saying, you know, you're, this is a, such an important topic that's very, very relevant to the practice of an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, they weren't necessarily sure how reamed or non-reamed tibial nailing, for example, would be relevant to, let's say, uh, an internist or a primary care. Now, how it got things changing was, okay, well, when there's been a large effort, a large multinational effort on some of the trials we've done, I've always asked myself, and, and I'll use, let's say, the FLOW trial that was published in what's um, in the New England Journal of Medicine mid-2000, mid like 2010-15, yeah. or something like that, right? So that one, you know, it, when we sat down at the steering committee, we said, okay, well, who would who would genuinely be like, who, who, would, who would find these results generalizable to their practice? And clearly, orthopedic surgeons would found it because it was an, you know, an open wound irrigation trial, but it became very apparent that you know, um, you know, primary care folks who are managing wounds, uh, you know, in all over the world would find this relevant. Uh, internists would find this relevant. There would be, you know, potential plastic surgery would find this relevant. So we started seeing the scope get much, much bigger than orthopedics. And so we made that decision to say, okay, let's find a, a journal that has an audience that would cover all these multidisciplinary potential groups. And that led to some of our decision making. But if you look at the stuff that's happening now. We're starting to see more and more core orthopedic publications published outside of core orthopedic journals, whether it's a good thing or a bad. I mean, I presume that, the, 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 you know, overall it's good for orthopedics and that we're getting the message out that orthopedics has value. But you'll typically see, for example, Mark, New England Journal and some of these other journals, this is my, I'm editorializing this, so this has no bearing on what others might think about it. But generally speaking, if there is a major practice change uh, effort, like for example, surgery may not be as effective as non-operative treatment. That is almost preferentially what we've seen being published in, in the new yep. intro. But they rarely publish surgery is better, unless it's you know. I think they did one study of um, you know total knee arthroplasty against uh, physiotherapy, for example, suggesting total knee arthroplasty was better. Yep. You know, something that most surgeons have known for decades anyway. But anyways, that was kind of uh, the thinking around that. Yeah, so it's really a question of the the breadth of the audience, right? Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's why those journals, uh, Lancet, JAM, et cetera, have impact factors that are in the 30s or higher compared to us at uh, uh, JBGS, which are like seven to eight range. It's because of the breadth of individuals interested in what they're what they're publishing. So that was the thinking that uh, Jim Heckman had in discussing things with Jim Wright and myself. 
that there are these articles that are published in other journals that are not typically seen by the orthopedic community. So that was the whole impetus uh, behind uh, this evidence-based orthopedic section. Uh, and, and so the way it works is, uh, I, I'm, I know that, that Brian Haynes is no longer leading the group that is uh, uh, producing the inf information, but the, the MAC group uh, sends uh, to us and to our, our new, uh, the newest editor of evidence-based orthopedics, Ron Navarro from Kaiser, that the list of uh, the the high level evidence that's been published in other journals and and Ron uses a, a process of going through them and deciding which which ones are uh, the highest relevance uh, to us in uh, orthopedic surgery to publish in JVGS. And we do it four times a year, generally three articles, sometimes it's less, but I, I think it's been a very, very valuable addition to to what we publish at the journal. Well, and, and I'll tell you, it's like like just from the practical point of view, like, you know, you know this for sure, and I still remember this, that there would be situations where you would say that you would hold a journal club, let's say for trainees, and you would say, you know, we will look at a single journal. And typically it was the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Mm. It very rapidly, with, with information and in the, in the world that is now information-based, became impossible for the journal to publish every possible existing high-quality paper. You just can't do it, right? So, right? so there has to still be a place. And I think moving to this approach exactly the reason the rationale for ortho evidence in my mind which is yeah. how do you find a place where people can go to where they aren't missing the really good important things and so just because someone doesn't publish in the journal well doesn't mean that it wouldn't potentially be important and i think it's a really imp important um, action to say okay well let's bring that here so you know the um you know the loyal readers of the journal of bone and joint surgery are still getting um, you know, important information that may not otherwise have been published in the journal, but still, you know, in a, in a clear summary format. I think that's a, I think that's the way of the future, right? We're going to have to find more pre-appraised resources and we're going to have to find ways to cull it all and bring it into a single uh, platform so people can actually digest it. It's too much information otherwise. Right. And to be, to be clear for the audience, uh, we're very selective in the, the ones we, we publish uh, at uh, JVJS, but you at Ortho Evidence are trying to be comprehensive and really collect all of the level one evidence on individual topics and are have made great inroads there. What's what's the number of studies now in your in oh, your database? We're about ten thousand randomized clinical right. trials. Now, now, you know, initially it was like, well, you'll never get even like you know, like you know, randomized trials don't exist for orthopedics, and they're not you know the usual stuff. Yeah. They're small. They're how do you trust them? And now it's at a point where we have to find ways to summarize a database of randomized trials because there's just so much information. And, and again, no reasonable person, unless they're spending all their time on the site, could, could consume it all. You just couldn't do it. So then we have to think about, okay, well, what's the next generation you know, beyond a summary? How do, we, you know, how do we get it? And maybe as you've been hearing about things like chat GPT-3, and if you haven't, it's worth us having a chat about that next time. But AI and machine learning and algorithms are becoming extremely prevalent. And maybe we have to be thinking more clearly and quickly about question answer types of things. Right? If someone has a question, they get the answer. Right. Um, and I know you've spoken a lot about this, about point of care tools and the future development of those kind of tools. But I think that's where we're going to have to all head and use our information and data collectively. Yeah, well, we'll put that uh, that chat GPT uh, topic on for our, the next time we get together. Absolutely. 
In the meantime, I, I hope you've got your your cup nearby. Always, always. Uh, and I'm I'm actually going to add a couple of ibuprofen. So, <laughs> I I wish you all the best, and I hope your back gets back uh, ready for golf season. By the way, and we'll have to talk about that. You have to help my game. I'll tell you that. So anyways, that's another story. Looking forward to it. Well, right. thanks, Mo. Right. Talk take to you care. next time. You take care. Have a good day. Bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.